Hello and welcome to the Luxembourg History Podcast. My name's Tom Tutton and I'm your host for our first series. Today we're returning to Chicago to continue our study of the impact of Luxembourg's emigrants to the United States. We'll be looking in depth at the lives of four individuals of Luxembourgish descent, a police officer, a rabbi, a tennis player and the man behind US Flag Day. We hope you enjoy the podcast. So the first story we're going to look at today is that of Michael J. Shack, one of the most noteworthy officers in the history of the Chicago Police Department. Michael was born in Septfontaine, a small town in western Luxembourg, on the 23rd of April 1843. At the age of 13, he emigrated to Chicago with his parents and siblings. Like most teenage boys of his day, Michael was forced to find a job to supplement his family's income, which he did, working at a furniture factory on $3 a week. By the time he was 26, Michael had worked as a farmhand in Wisconsin, at a brewery in Illinois, and as a ship's helmsman on the Great Lakes. It was then, in June of 1869, that Michael decided to become a member of the Chicago Police Department. He began his service in the crime-ridden Old Armory District of the city, where he served for six years. He was then transferred to Chicago's notorious Northside, where he worked among many fellow Luxembourgers. By 1872, he had become a sergeant in the city's secret police force. Michael showed great promise as a secret police officer as he was credited with a scarcely believable 860 arrests, a toll which included notorious murderers, robbers and burglars. Over the years, he gained a reputation as a tough, relentless and no-nonsense investigator. He was a force to be reckoned with on the streets of Chicago where his name and persona were widely known. He was loved by many, but hated by many others. Michael and his wife were frequently threatened during trials and their home was twice set on fire by arsonists seeking to intimidate him. This was never enough to stop his support for the rule of law though, and he was promoted to lieutenant in 1879 and then captain in 1885. In 1892, the office of inspector of the north side was created, with Michael at its head, giving him control over the entire police force north of the Chicago River. They also gave him jurisdiction to spy on fellow officers and investigate corruption within the north side police force. During his illustrious career, Michael became extremely well-known for his role in solving some of Chicago's most notorious crimes, including the Cronin murder and the Krug poisoning. By far the most important case he was involved with, however, was the Haymarket riot and bombing which occurred on the 4th of May 1886. On the previous day, May 3rd, a man had been killed as Chicago police intervened to protect strike breakers and intimidate striking workers in the city. In response to what they viewed as police brutality, Members of the labor movement, who are often referred to as anarchists, called a mass meeting for the following day in Chicago's Haymarket Square. This meeting soon descended into violence when a bomb was thrown by an unknown individual at police officers who were demanding that the crowd disperse. The police responded with gunfire, but when the dust settled it was the police that had suffered the most casualties. Seven officers were killed with 60 injured, while civilian casualties totaled 8 dead and around 40 injured. In the aftermath of the riot, widespread hysteria was directed at radical immigrants and labour leaders. Many individuals were arbitrarily rounded up throughout the country and the Chicago Police Department announced an investigation by its Central Detective Bureau to capture those responsible for the bombing. With the investigation going nowhere, Michael stepped in to find the perpetrators himself, using undercover police officers to infiltrate the gathering places of the anarchists. In August of 1886, eight men were convicted of murder on the grounds of having conspired with the bomb thrower who remained at large. The so-called Chicago 8's guilt, however, was never conclusively proven. Some of the anarchists had not been present at the riot, leading many observers to conclude that this sensationalised trial had been a sham, and enemies of Michael Schack went as far as to suggest that he had planted evidence to secure the conviction. Whatever the truth of the matter, 
four of the accused were hanged in November 1887. One had already committed suicide on the eve of his execution, while two had their death sentences commuted to life in prison. Public opinion over the case remained divided. While some supported the verdict for having dealt with the anarchist threat, the pro-labour forces saw the Chicago Eight as martyrs for the cause. In 1889, Michael released a book entitled Anarchy and Anarchists, A History of the Red Terror and the Social Revolution in America and Europe. It was subtitled The Chicago Haymarket Conspiracy and the Detection and Trial of the Conspirators. The book presented his recollections of the Haymarket riot and his view on both the labour movement and the threat anarchists posed to society. In it, he wrote, Among the anarchist saloon keepers, there was one who seemed to have a special liking for me. This man who had a place on Lake Street, when taking his first drink in the morning, would invariably drink to my health, saying, I hope that that damn Luxembourger shack will be killed before I go to bed tonight. And when he was about to close his doggery for the day, he would take two drinks and say, I hope I will find Shaq hanging on a lamppost in the morning when I get up. Michael continued to serve as a police inspector until shortly before his death in May 1898 at his home in Chicago. He had struggled for years with diabetes and rheumatism. Michael Shaq was buried in Rose Hill Cemetery and his funeral was apparently the most attended funeral in Chicago's history up to that point. And to this day, he remains one of the biggest legends in the history of the Chicago Police Department. Our next Luxembourgish American of note is Rabbi Emil Hirsch, an important pioneer of Reform Judaism. Reform Judaism is a major progressive Jewish denomination which first emerged in 19th century Germany. Emil Hirsch was born in Luxembourg City in 1851, the son of Prussian-born Rabbi Samuel Hirsch, then the chief rabbi of Luxembourg. The family emigrated to America in 1866, settling in the city of Philadelphia. Emil attended the University of Pennsylvania, where he incidentally played a fledgling version of American football. In 1872, he travelled back to Europe to begin his rabbinic studies at university in Berlin and Leipzig. Five years later, he returned to the US, beginning a career that would see him become the leading reform rabbi in the United States. After a short period serving congregations in Baltimore, Maryland and Louisville, Kentucky, Emil returned to Chicago where he was named rabbi of the well-known Sinai congregation in 1880, and he would remain there for the rest of his life. His tenure coincided with the incredible growth of both Chicago and the city's Jewish population. The Sinai congregation grew in leaps and bounds with Emil's progressive ideas, and his dynamic preaching attracted some of Chicago's most famous Jewish residents, including Julius Rosenwald, the president of what would become America's largest retailer, Sears. Emil gained a reputation as one of Chicago's leading preachers, through his emphasis on social justice and the need for a spiritual life both in theory and in practice. His message was well received by people of all faiths and he promoted progressive ideas such as women's rights. He moved Sabbath services at the Sinai congregation to Sundays as a way of integrating into mainstream American society. Emil died in Chicago in January 1923 at the age of 71. He was hailed by Chicago newspapers as one of the most influential religious leaders the city had ever known, with 10,000 residents attending his funeral. Emil is commemorated in the city by a high school in his name, and his teaching and writings continue to influence Reform Judaism to this day. Furthermore, Emil's impact did not actually end with his death, as the Hirsch family has had an enduring influence on American political life. Emil's grandson, Edward Hirsch Levi, was President Gerald Ford's Attorney General, an instrumental figure in the aftermath of the Watergate scandal. Incidentally, Emil's great-grandson John Levi played an even more surprising role in the history of American politics. As a partner at the Sidley Austin law firm in Chicago, he was responsible for hiring two young lawyers to work under him who would later go on to get married. Their names were Michelle Robinson and Barack Obama, future First Lady and President of the United States. 
In that way, Luxembourg-born Rabbi Emil Hirsch and his descendants have continued to exercise a surprisingly large influence on the history of the United States. Our next famous person of Luxembourgish descent is Christine Mary Evert, better known as Chris Evert, aka one of the most successful tennis players of all time. Chris's father, Jimmy, grew up in Chicago and his grandfather, that is, Chris Evert's great-grandfather, was a Luxembourgish immigrant. Jimmy Evert was a decent tennis player in his own right, winning the Canadian Championships in 1947. He had a much greater impact, however, as the coach of his daughter, Chris. And Chris Evert's career was simply staggering. She reached 34 Grand Slam singles finals, the most in the history of both women and men's professional tennis. She won 18 of those finals, including at least one per year for a record 13 consecutive years from 1974 to 1986, and she also won three doubles titles. Her singles haul included two Australian Opens, seven titles at Roland Garros, three victories at Wimbledon, and six at the US Open. Her rivalry with Martina Navratilova was one of the most iconic rivalries that the sport, and indeed any sport, has ever seen, and she was elected to the International Tennis Hall of Fame in 1995. Luxembourg's association with tennis does not end with Chris Evert, however. Anne Kremer from Hesperange reached a high of 18th in the world rankings in 2002. More recently, in 2017, Luxembourg's own Gilles Müller beat Rafael Nadal in one of the longest matches in Wimbledon history, winning the fifth set 15 games to 13. Müller reached his highest world ranking of 21st that same year, before retiring in 2018. Our fourth and final famous American of Luxembourgish descent is the father of an American tradition that has sometimes raised eyebrows here in Europe. Dr. Bernard Sigrand, the founder of US Flag Day, was born in Wisconsin in 1866. His parents were Nicholas and Susan Sigrand, a Luxembourgish couple who had settled in the US in 1852. Bernard showed great academic ability and an interest in American history from a young age. As a young adult, he became a teacher in a small public school in the village of Waubeka, near Milwaukee. It was here, at Stony Hill School, that Bernard held the first observance of US Flag Day on the 14th of June 1885. He chose June 14th as this was the day in 1777 that the US Congress had officially adopted the Stars and Stripes as the American flag. The first celebration may have been small, but Bernard campaigned tirelessly throughout his life to make June 14th a national holiday on which Americans could pay homage to the ultimate symbol of their freedom. In 1894, the American Flag Day Association was born in Chicago with Bernard as secretary. Celebrations were held on June 14th that year across the parks of the Windy City, and the movement began to spread nationwide. The crowning achievement of Bernard's life came at the age of 50, when in May of 1916, President Woodrow Wilson issued a proclamation calling for a yearly nationwide observance of US Flag Day on June 14th. Bernard Sigrand eventually died in Chicago in May 1932, but his legacy lives on. Stony Hill School is now a museum, and in 2000, the Luxembourg Ministry of Culture had bronze busts of Bernard placed in Waubeka and in front of the Sigrand ancestral home in Burglinster, Luxembourg. These efforts have kept alive the memory of Bernard Sigrand, son of Luxembourgish immigrants and father of US Flag Day. That's all we've got for today, so thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast. This episode is based on articles by Kevin Vester script adaptation and hosting by Tom Tutton, and production by Martin Johnson. Brought to you by RTL Today.